Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to the Coffee Clash. The Coffee Clash and Special Needs Talk Radio Network feature outstanding programming for the special needs community. Our team of hosts provide educational interviews. Our shows are not designed to provide listeners with specific or personal medical, legal, or professional service or advice. Parents of children with health issues should always consult their health care provider for medical advice, medications, or treatment. Any show discussing rights and law for special needs children and special education are presented as general information and not legal advice. Special Needs Coffee Clash Limited does not promote any hosts or guests' individual practice, programs, treatments, or products. We thank you for joining us and are proud to provide excellence in broadcasting for the special needs community. And now, on to the interview. Good evening and welcome to the Coffee Clatch. This is Marianne Russo. Thank you for joining us tonight. We have a really great topic that we're going to be discussing tonight, something that we really, we've touched upon, but we really have not gone into any depth and we certainly have not found any solutions until tonight. So I'm very excited to have um, Dr. Dow um, joining us. He is a Harvard graduate with 40 years experience in pediatric gastroenterology. He is the professor of pediatrics at uh, SUNY Stony Brook. He, his previous um, professorships at Yale, New York University, and Cornell University, he's been awarded the Distinguished Service Award from the North American Society for Pediatric Gastroenterology, Hepatology, and Nutrition. He is on the Medical Advisory Board of the Pull-Through Network, which is an organization for families of children with fecal incontinence. He has moderated the World Con- Congress of Pediatric Gastroenterology. He's published more than 130 articles, and um, he continuously is selected by his peers as one of the top pediatric gastroenterologists in the United States. So we are thrilled to have Dr. Down with us tonight, and we are going to be talking about the difficulties in toilet training children with special needs, children without special needs, um, and stool withholding. So a lot of parents, especially in rural areas, um, are really having a hard time finding help, and um, Dr. Down has an unbelievable program where he is helping people all over the world, literally. And um, I'm thrilled to have him join us. Thank you, Dr. Dom. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Oh, please. I'm thrilled you're with us. Um, you know, I don't know much about this. And, um, you know, I know that a lot of our listeners, a good portion of our listeners, have children with special needs, autism. And toilet training is a problem. And there can be a lot of reasons that parents may not be aware of. So, um Let's start off by talking about um, the needs that these children have. Um, what is stool withholding? I had never heard of that before. Stool withholding exists in uh, children who, when they get the urge to have a bowel movement, are able to uh, posture, uh, pro- do a variety of things to keep themselves from having to go to the bathroom. That's called stool withholding. And certainly... Anyone after the age, now we're talking about, we don't have norms for special needs kids. If we talk about kids without special needs, I think most of us us would agree that youngsters should be toilet trained for stool by about three, meaning that they should be able to self-initiate, take care of themselves in the bathroom, uh, clean themselves, and become totally self-sufficient. We don't have data on youngsters 
on the spectrum to know when we might expect that to happen. And I think in all honesty, when you look at the spectrum, they call it a spectrum because you have youngsters with mild issues and then you have youngsters who have more significant issues. Uh, so I had a call tonight and toilet training a youngster in Canada by telephone who is described as having sensory issues. And I can't define that in any more detail, but uh, that child had self-initiated, was doing great, and then today withheld and then had what we call encopresis, which means that instead of going in the toilet, he went in his pants. Uh, by definition, if you don't use a toilet, if you go in your underwear, you go on the floor, or even if you go in a pull-up, you're called pull-up dependent, that's called encopresis. So this child today had a... a major stool accident, we call that encopresis, E-N-C-O-P-R-E-S-I-S, and went all over the place. And when talking to the parent about uh, consequences for uh, having encopresis, keeping in mind this child had self-initiated, had used the toilet, was doing very well, the parent was able to grasp that, came up with a consequence that was appropriate, and the child has done very well all day. Unfortunately, Here's where the confusion is. The occupational therapist said to the mother, well, maybe he can't feel the urge. And that's where the, the dilemma comes in uh, when we have many, many people who are doing the best they can to help youngsters with autism become toilet trained, but they really don't understand that youngsters with autism, for the most part, are no different when it comes to toilet training uh, uh, from youngsters without autism. Uh, and the same rules for parenting and discipline and structure and all of those good things that you get with the various types of therapies in school, we have to hold true to those if we're going to achieve toilet training in youngsters uh, with special needs. Um, you, do, is this also something that you find um, outside of children with special needs in the neurotypical community? Um, and is this something that's voluntary or is it physical? About 30% of the patients who come to see me at the office have some degree of stool withholding. We don't realize that, although most of the time this happens at about the time of toilet training, uh, when children become resistant to using a toilet to stool, understand that they, they almost all train for urine. So parents get uh, uh, come in and feel, well, he's toilet trained, he pees in the toilet but he's not trained for stool. Most of them are still pull-up dependent, where they demand a pull-up. If there were no pull-up, then they would just hold on, hold on, and then they end up soiling. So about 30% of our patients, and I think that's true around the country for most pediatric gastroenterologists, uh, have this type of problem. And uh, so it's extremely common usually starts when kids are very young at about the time of toilet training. There are several reasons for that. But I think that those of us who have older kids realize that our kids were stool withholding when they went to middle school, high school, because they didn't want to use the bathrooms for obvious reasons. That's true, yes. Yeah, and, and half the adults in the world, you know, adults who go once every four days probably were stool withholders when they were children, were never treated. And then they learned how to take care of themselves. The biggest problem with stool withholding uh, it's not the stool withholding per se. Most people don't come in and say, my kid's stool withholding or my kid needs to be toilet trained. 
for many of them, it's that the child is now soiling stool. You soil stool when you withhold, when the pressure builds up in your rear end so that you can't soil anymore, uh, you can't stool withhold anymore. So the mm-hmm. only choice you have is to pass a little bit of gas to stool, you feel a little better and you keep doing it. Children frequently who stool withhold have little pellets, but if one takes a good history, you find that periodically, it could be, it could be once every day, it could be once every two weeks, they put out a huge bowel movement. And parents sit there and say, you know, we have an elephant in our house, or we have a buffalo. <laughs> it's like they're delivering a baby. That's stool withholding with encapresis. So the stools vary in size. And again, if you're not going in a toilet, doesn't matter the size of the of the stool, what have you, you are an encopretic, which leads to a lot of social issues, uh, kids being teased in school, you can't go into a pool, you can't have sleepovers, uh, you can't move up in grade. That's a major crisis time for uh, uh, yeah, we'll kids. We'll go into that a little bit later, especially in, uh, in um, you know the older kids, because that is devastating. But, you know... When we spoke for a few minutes before, um, you said something that was very interesting to me, which was that there aren't many doctors that are really focusing on this issue, especially in the autism community, and it's a very big issue. Why do you think that is? It's a great question. I think part of it is that uh, we as physicians are not trained in medical school about stool withholding and encapresis, whether it be with autistic kids or not. Uh, most doctors when they go through their residency which is a three-year period after medical school before they go out into practice or into academics don't really learn very much about these problems and I think that uh, what we're finding is that uh, the approach to stool withholding and encapresis is really lacking uh, not only here in the United States but around the world there are very few people addressing this issue appropriately, and even fewer people addressing it in youngsters with autism. Right, and Down syndrome and a lot of other things. But let's go into right. what it really is. So if a parent is concerned, um, or maybe a parent is, is, is not even aware um, that their child has this, what are the signs and the symptoms? What would parents be seeing? Are there any physical um, you know, movements? or you know, What would they look for? There are, I think, two types of signs that you look for. One are the behavioral signs. One's the behavioral signs of stool withholding. The other are the physical signs. If you look at the behavior of a youngster, say, who's three years of age, four years of age, who's stool withholding, uh, the kids will often try to hide while pooping. They'll hide behind furniture or behind a closed door or in a closet. They'll posture, they straighten their legs or they cross their legs and they squeeze their their butt together. You can't have a bowel movement with that type of posture. Uh, We've all seen youngsters uh, holding on to, uh, say, their mother's legs. You know, I always kid around when they're two feet tall and, you know, they stand there, they hold their mother's knees and they jiggle and they get agitated and they cry. And then when they get three feet tall, they hold on to the table and they do the same thing. It's like uh, showtime. Well, okay. uh, uh, the other thing is called the duty dance. Uh, they get up on their toes because they're feeling this pressure in their rear end, which is causing a lot of discomfort. So they get up on their toes and they dance around the room. And that's uh, in 
jargon or whatever called the duty dance. So mm-hmm. those are sort of behavioral signs of stool withholding. The physical signs, the most common thing uh, that occurs in youngsters who stool withhold is their their colons, their large intestine becomes filled with stool and gas, and their their bellies, what the lay public would call their stomach area, rather than being flat or concave, becomes distended, some people say, extended, swollen. It's the same thing. And if you think that your child may be stool withholding, take a look at pictures when your youngster's in a bathing suit on the beach and a three-year-old or a four-year-old with a pot belly is stool withholding. And you see that commonly. Uh, Because the stool itself makes gas, uh, these kids frequently pass a lot of gas, uh, which is very malodorous because it's sort of sitting there and uh, the, the odor changes. They may have a little bit of bright red blood on the toilet paper in the stool because as they pass a hard stool or a big stool, they get a little cut. That's called a fissure, F-I-S-S-U-R-E, which also can be uncomfortable. Their stools, as I said before, can be huge in diameter. One thing uh, in terms of eating is that children who are full of stool may be hungry, but when they sit down to eat solids, they get full very quickly because when you're full of stool, your stomach sort of shuts down very quickly when you eat. So you have a good appetite, but then you don't take anything in. Uh, Mothers who sit there trying to make everything that they can for their kids to please them get very upset because they think that's all behavioral, but actually there's a physical component to that. Uh, Lastly, Children who are full of stool frequently have what's called reflux. Stomach contents come up into the esophagus. Sometimes kids regurgitate stuff into their mouth. They get burning in their chest or their throat. We call that heartburn. They feel nauseated. They burp a lot. Uh, That's all from uh, stool withholding. So that's sort of a a lay of the land. You know, it it, it sounds like the child would just be so in, in such discomfort with this. Well, I can give you an analogy. Uh, all of us, at one time or another, we, we eat at a restaurant, and we're driving home, and we're within two miles of the house, and we realize we have to, have to go to the bathroom. So what we do is we sort of stand on the accelerator, we pray, and we hope that we won't go all over the, the front seat. And as we continue to drive home, the pain builds up, so we get really significant cramps. It's, it's very excruciating. This is what happens to youngsters who still withhold. So the discomfort, the pain is real and can only be alleviated by having an adequate bowel movement. So now the causes. What would the causes of this be? Um, would they be physical? Would it be um, social, emotional? You know, what usually is the cause for a child to do this? In little ones, in kids who are two, three, what have you, uh, it is behavioral. Now, when I say that, I once had a mother <laughs> get very upset. She said, Dr. Dom said, my kid is mental. I didn't say that the child was mental, uh, but no, it is God. a behavior. Uh-huh. Now, okay. uh, we can get into what causes that behavior, and we should. I think if you continue to stew with whole for years, I think you also lose the normal sensation when you have to have a bowel movement. So then it's behavioral and also physical because the bowel gets stretched out and the urge to go is diminished. So I think it's, it, 
it gets worse as we get older. And you'll have adults say, I never feel that I have to go to the bathroom. And I think that's because they've been doing it for many, many years. The behavior can be due to a variety of things. I think most commonly, and we've all experienced this, if you have a hard bowel movement and you have pain in your rear end when you poop, you are going to develop a behavior which says, uh, I'm not doing that again because that really hurts. So we call that aversion. That's aversion to pain, which is a normal thing, and that would be aversion to passing a hard stool when you're constipated. Uh, again, remember the bright red blood in the stool or on the toilet paper in youngsters who have these problems is just an indication that they're they're constipated. They're having hard, big stools or what have you. I was just going to ask you about that with the fissures. Do they heal themselves, or could it be that a child that they don't heal and maybe that's a problem? They do heal when the child receives appropriate treatment and the stools become looser. They do heal, and it doesn't take long. In 24 hours, you can go from having a fissure that hurts with a little bit of blood to actually uh, having that fissure heal. Now, what other are there other than the echoparesis? What other causes could there be for either a neurotypical child or a special needs child um, to have difficulty in toilet training? I think that uh, uh, if you look at youngsters with autism and the stresses within any household, whether a youngster has autism or not, uh, I think stress plays a very significant role at times. Children start to uh, battle for control. And if you look at control, there are three ways that a child uh, controls the household. Uh, one is eating. And we certainly know that the uh, uh, little ones uh, uh, become difficult in terms of feeding at times, and parents try to force feed them, so we have a war. Second thing has to do with going to sleep. Uh, kids who are very difficult to get to bed, or uh, they frequently come in and they're sleeping with their parents. And the, the third way of controlling the household is by basically refusing to toilet train with stool withholding and soiling. You can imagine the uh, the pressure uh, in the house, the, uh, the just the chaos, the battles that go on between uh, parents uh, because it's so stressful. And parents have to isolated, very frustrated. Imagine. Yeah, if people feel incredibly frustrated and you feel impotent. You can't help your child. And then you go to the doctor who may or may not be able to help your child. And now the school is on your back because your child's soiling in school and your child's getting into a class with youngsters who are incontinent rather than getting into a class based on their cognitive ability, their 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 right. intelligence. Uh, so all of these things play a very significant role. You know, I was going to talk to you about um, the social and emotional needs of these children, and, you know, I, I think we've covered a lot of that, um, that it really can have a, an impact because these children aren't going to be able to go to parties, to sleepovers, um, possibly play sports, and like you said, summer camp, go to a pool. So it really can be very devastating. And, um, you know, I'm so glad that you came on, being the reason I wanted you to come on is because you have um, created a program, um, which is really pretty incredible because, you know, this is a day-to-day -day type of thing. This isn't like you can just go to the doctor and then, you know, you're left on your own to deal with it. So um, what would the treatment be for this? And then tell us what you're doing because you have something that is you could help somebody in the most rural area in the country. 
the treatments vary, and uh, I don't know that there's one right treatment. I think it depends on uh, how the parents feel about the approach uh, and and what is viewed as acceptable in terms of the, the therapies. Uh, let me throw some things out at you. Uh, and I, I want you to know that I do not use what is called bottom-up therapy in children. Bottom-up therapy is an approach whereby kids receive daily enemas to basically empty out the left side of their large intestine. The intestine runs up from the, the, the rear end up your left across the middle and down the right side. If you can empty out the left by any approach, you will stop the soiling. So uh, there are people out there. Uh, there is a gentleman named Bob Collins who's a Ph.D. in psychology, very nice guy. Uh, he founded Soiling Solutions, which is a, uh, an approach whereby you use enemas. I don't like that approach. I think it tends to be viewed by many people as punitive. It's difficult. Uh, I don't imagine that most kids want to have enemas every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there are people who swear by it. Uh, there are other people who also use an enema approach. That's called bottom-up. I use a top-down approach, and I use Senna, which is a mild natural vegetable laxative. It's in a variety of products, including X-Lax. Uh, used to be Little Tummies, which is off the market now, Senacot. And I use Senna, and I, it's called top-down. It's an oral laxative, basically uh which stimulates the bowel and and sort of draws water into the bowel, and I can do the same thing using oral laxatives. The goal, whether you use top-down, bottom-up therapy, is all the same. You want to basically clean out the colon, and then you want to maintain the colon in in a in a clean way so that the child's going every day comfortable and not soiling. Uh, so there are a variety of approaches. Uh, and there's a lot of, uh, uh, you know, disagreement, a lot of discussion on the uh, support groups, Yahoo, Facebook, uh, all the support groups. You have the mothers who, who uh, you know, feel that one approach is better than another approach. And I think we're just in the infantile stage of really figuring out how to treat kids with and without special needs who have stool withholding. Right. Well, as I say, if you've seen one child with autism, you've seen one child with autism. So, you know, uh, there's always a lot of uh, discord and disagreement, um, you know, within the community about different approaches because what works for one doesn't work for the other. Um, you know, you had said that um, you felt that the bottom-up um, approach was punitive. Um, and, but in the beginning of the interview, you had mentioned um, that the person you were talking to today, um, I think in Canada, and that they, the parent had given a good consequence for, um, or for um, the incident. So um, how does a parent do this? I mean, other than the laxatives, um, what type of an approach does a parent need to take? I want to I say she did not give an enema. What she did... Right. Uh, upon uh, my urging was that after the child had two poop accidents in in his underwear, uh, she put the child on the toilet and left the child there for a few hours. Uh, The child could play with a toy, not play with a toy. It depends on on what your your goals are. But he ended up then having two self-initiations on the toilet 
and was able to understand very, very rapidly that she was not going to tolerate his behavior. I think there are, uh, I think parenting is a very individual thing. I think that what teachers have taught me and why they're so successful is they don't vary from day to day in their expectations. There is a structure, a consistency in the classroom, and they don't negotiate. And I think that we as parents have to come up with what works for us, for our families. But I think that negotiating with little children, uh, uh, I don't give them a vote. It's not a democracy. I say to parents, decide what's good for you, but be consistent. Have structure. Uh, training children, totally training children is like training a puppy. If you feed a puppy at the table, that puppy's there for the next 20 years. Uh, and you just have to think of it in that, uh, what's my child uh, thinking in terms of what are my expectations? And uh, that's, that's what we're going to do. Now, the use of the laxatives, I know that sometimes, um, uh, you know, people use laxatives and they have a lot of, um, you know, pain, stomach pain right. and um, intestinal mm-hmm. pain. Um, so is that something that would be expected with this? And how long would a treatment like this usually take? The use of laxatives, what is commonly done is that children are underdosed with laxatives. Uh, I want to first say that laxatives are safe doesn't matter whether you're talking about Miralax, which people use, or Sen or whatever. I've reviewed the literature for the last 20 years. Laxatives are safe. They are used by very, very good uh, bowel management programs like in Cincinnati. So I don't have the fear of using laxatives. Laxatives do not make you dependent. Uh, a child well, who goes on laxatives. Well, that's under supervision, though. Is that correct? That, under that's correct. That's right. correct. But laxatives don't make you dependent. There are very few groups of individuals on laxatives who get dependent eating disorder patients, interesting enough ballerinas who want to keep their weight down and to take massive doses mm-hmm. can get dependent. You don't get tolerant. You don't need more and more to get the same effect. And certainly they don't cause addiction. Uh, if you stop laxatives, your pulse doesn't change, your blood pressure doesn't change. They are safe. Uh, the key is to use enough and that's what scares people. If you underdose, a child will hold, hold, hold them in soil. If you use enough and you combine laxatives with behavior, the child gets the appropriate urge over a progressive period of a few days, realizes that they have to use the toilet, which is right next to them, so that you get that combination of benefits from laxative and, and behavior. I use the, the same dose is- that we're... Go ahead. I'm I just, sorry. I was just curious if um, you're if you're using this uh, method with the laxatives with a child, would they be able to go to school? I, I would imagine that it would be hard for them, um, you know, to to be, have access to a bathroom that quickly if they needed it. Okay. Well, we haven't talked about my approach, but basically, I toilet train kids in four to five days. They're home for four to five days. Sometimes children take longer who have special needs, but the goal is then to get them to self-initiate, to be clean, and to go back to school without having to have a bowel movement in school unless parents would like to use the school for that purpose. So that at the end of my training period, which is four to five days, if you time it, center works in a predictable way so that the kids will get the laxative in school and go at home so that they, Mm -hmm. they don't have accidents in school. 
you can uh, look at their activities, whether it's dance or athletics or CCD or Hebrew school. And I've done this for a long time, so I'm able to time it uh, just like kids can go to Disney. Uh, I'm able to time it so that they don't have a problem functioning. They don't have accidents uh, in school or on the athletic field or what have you. But as you said, you have to really have been around a long time and it takes supervision. I think that mothers telling mothers how much laxative to use uh, is not uh, appropriate. Oh, uh, and that not. happens a lot. Yeah. Um, now, is there any physical reason, other than the encoparesis, is there any physical reason that a child would soil um, that has nothing to do with behavioral, something that they, you know, they have no control over? Very, very, very unusual. If you have a disease involving your spinal cord, really? you might be, okay. uh, you you might be incon- truly incontinent of stool. Mm-hmm. Uh, what the treatment program should do is is uh, get a kid to go adequately during the day, so that when the youngster goes to sleep at night, there are no accidents during sleep. A youngster who continues to have accidents during sleep, one has to think of what's called a tethered, T-E-T-H-E-R-E-D, tethered cord, C-R-D, tethered spinal cord. That's a, uh, a, a, an anomaly of the spinal cord, something you're born with that can mm-hmm. be corrected surgically. Uh, I think if you're worried about a tethered cord, you're almost always going to see a youngster who is not only having stool problems but incontinent of urine uh, so that the two things go together. Right. Well, tell us um, about your website because you have a very informative website. And um, you know, like I said, you do have this program that if a, if a parent is interested, because this really needs to be done with supervision. I mean, laxatives, like you said, they're safe, but they're safe when they're um, being supervised and parents are being told how to administer them. So um, tell, what is your website and how can uh, parents get in touch with you? How often do you speak to parents when they get involved in this program? My kids will say too often, uh, but uh, <laughs> uh, 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 I sort of, I have a, a passion for this. I had a child who was a steward holder, uh, and I have lived through uh, all of the horror associated with that with encopresis, and I view these problems, whether it be for kids with special needs or kids without special needs, uh, it's as bad as a malignancy. And uh, so I have a a driving passion to help what I feel is an underserved population. The other thing is that I have two daughters who uh, are speech-language pathologists who work in Manhattan uh, in a large center for autistic kids and kids with delay, and about 20 to 30% of my GI patients uh, are on the spectrum. Uh, And I had a fellowship in adolescent medicine at the Albert Einstein College of Medicine, and uh, I became uh, enamored of uh, teenagers with emotional disturbance. We didn't know about autism 45 years ago. So that's sort of my background to begin with. The website is called Dr. Dom, D-O-C-T-O-R-D-A-U-M, that's one word, dot com. And uh, it provides a lot of information uh, we have a, a blog on the website, uh, 
my wife, who is a pediatric nutritionist, does all of the social media, uh, and there are many, many links on that website. Uh, I should say that for people in uh, the immediate area, uh, Nassau, Suffolk, Queens, Brooklyn, uh, Rockland County, uh, I work out of Winthrop University Hospital, and I have a bowel management program. I offer a seminar to folks who have youngsters with these problems, and I toilet train kids through Winthrop Hospital. Uh, the program itself is covered by insurance. Uh, the seminar costs uh, uh, a few dollars, $75 for a two-hour seminar, and people come once. That's the only cost out of, out of uh, pocket. Uh, and when I toilet train, I speak to uh, the, the folks who are the, the caretakers of these youngsters every single night until we achieve toilet training. And they come in periodically to see me, and then I am available forever. Uh, I do not uh, accept failure. Uh, there is no failure. The only failure in youngsters uh, with autism would be if I had a youngster without appropriate receptive qualities. But if I have a youngster who can understand when I ask them to sit on a chair, they sit on a chair, that youngster can be toilet trained. Uh, and I think that's the only real exception uh, to our being able to toilet train kids. So in the immediate area, uh, Winthrop Hospital, uh, and uh, welcome to call my direct number so that we get through the bureaucracy. It's 516-663-8399. That's actually my direct office number, and I'd be happy to, to help folks. Uh, the website also provides us with the opportunity uh, to toilet train people all over the country and internationally by telephone. Uh, people contact us through the contact form that's on the website, uh, and we, uh, by telephone, I train parents how to toilet train their kids, and again, it's that same constant availability and communication that gets us through the process. Uh, and that's been very successful. Uh, I uh, Literally, I spoke to a woman in Singapore. They're 13 hours ahead. Uh, I'm totally training her child. We've had children all over the world and all over the country. So that we're out there trying to change the landscape and trying to show folks who are very frustrated by all of this that there is help available, and we hope that more and more health professionals uh, will sort of take up the cause and, and do the right thing by all these kids. And, and, you know, it gives them such a sense of independence, too. And, uh, you know, well, self-image. When I give the yeah. seminar, yeah, I think that what we're trying to do is, you know, uh, you look at milestones. Getting toilet trained is a major milestone. It's what gives you your sense of self-image and uh, self-identity uh, you know, and independence. So that I, I agree with you. I think it's, it's crucial in development. Well, uh, thank you so much for joining us, and I know that there are a lot of parents that are very confused, and, um, you know, now they know that, um, you know, you're there for them. So please take advantage. Go to his website, um, look into the program, catch a seminar, and um, you, you won't be disappointed. So thank you very much. I thank you for joining me. Well, well thank you very much for having me, and uh, uh, I appreciate it. You're welcome. As I end each show, you are your child's best advocate. If not you, then who? Become an informed, educated parent with us at The Coffee Clatch. You can find us at www.thecoffeeclatch.com. And now a message from our sponsor. 
Big Grip Sprayers, the original big and squishy case for iPad. It's lightweight, durable, and non-toxic. Loved and trusted by schools and families across the country and around the world. Grab Big Grips today at BigGrips.com.